my nephew. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, that just, you know, gave and poured out. And even just throughout our worship service, we love having everyone participate and share what the Spirit is saying. And that's how the body functions. So we'll release the kids to go down. If you're 12 and younger, we have classes downstairs. Um, the teachers, teachers are there. So you can go down. Actually, go follow Elder Stu at the door. Is going to take you down. Don't worry. I, I will not be long-winded today. <laughs> it's been long already, I know. Actually, let me keep my phone up here just because for time. Awesome. Well, we've been talking about revival the past six weeks or so. Um, what revival looked like biblically, what God is calling us into, what he's speaking to us as a community, and then just recently in the past couple of weeks, preparing for revival. What God is speaking to us of how we need to prepare individually in our marriages, in our families, and corporately to prepare because we believe wholeheartedly that there is a great harvest coming. And last week, if you didn't hear the message, if you haven't heard some messages, we have a podcast. You can hop online and you can listen to any of the messages that have gone on the past five, six weeks. Um, last week we talked about, I read a quote from Reese Howell's Intercessor. Um, it, that struck me to the core. I've read that book three times already at least. Um, and he was talking about the Welsh revival. And two things that he said that one of the things he was talking about was that there were uh, too many babies, be meaning new, newborn Christians, too many babies and children and not enough nurses. They, they didn't have people to establish people in the faith is what he said and he said, if this were not to be met, it would be the most dangerous weakness of the revival. And he, he wrote, writes about how seeing the new converts sifted by the enemy because they didn't have enough people. Thousands were being added to the number of the church. And the enemy was sifting new believers because there were not enough who were grounded in their faith that could ground new believers in their faith. I read that and it struck me to the core. We've got to be we've got to be established in our faith and then know with certainty how to establish other believers in the faith that we wouldn't see this great sifting. The second thing he talked about was that they needed and didn't have or came later was the being endued with power from on high, the Holy Spirit. So this was a bunch of saved people that were loving Jesus, living radically, and yet had not yet been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And they had joy but lacked power, is what he said. That joy w came with salvation, but they realized they lacked the power to pray people into victory. That's an, that was another key. How, you know, are we confident? And that's, these are some of the th things that we do as a community. Um, and I'm going to get into that. Anyway, last week we talked about what does biblical establishing look like, et cetera. Um, and, and last week I said I didn't want to go into detail because that's what our sound doctrine groups do. We study in depth and, and really 
get people grounded in their faith. But I was woken up in the middle of the night and felt like the Lord told me to give a little more clarity on this. And he spoke very clearly about what. Um, so I want to give a bird's eye view today about, about Paul's ministry. And we talk about this a lot. Paul was called by God in Ephesians 3, right? One of the passages we talk about all the time here. In Ephesians 3, it says, Paul was called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and then he was given the administration of the mystery, which that word administration is household order, and the mystery was the church. So he was the given the administration. How God spoke to him and showed him, this is how my church is supposed to be ordered. And then we see him do it. You look at all his New Testament letters, that's what he's doing. And you can see that clearly in those letters. You know, I'm going to talk about that today and why that's important for us today. You know, this is New Testament church, the very beginning. So what, why is that important for us today? And um, Paul's primary goal, I mean, I think, we, I don't know what everyone, we've all come from different church backgrounds and everything, what we've learned growing up in the church. But Paul, his primary goal was to establish the church. That was what he was called to do. In Ephesians 3, he declares what his calling was. These are the two things. My mandate, preach the gospel to the Gentiles and establish the church. Bring the order. Bring this order that God gave me by direct revelation. And we've talked about a lot. God's not sporadic. He's not like, he's into the details, right? We see that in our own lives. We see that in creation and how the world was formed. And then we see that in his church. He's not haphazard and saying, just do it however you want to do it. He gave clear instruction. And the New Testament church followed that instruction because Paul was laying it out for them. And then he kept passing it along, and that lasted 500 years after the New Testament church, and then error came in, and we see all these diversions that happen after that. Paul's, that was his primary goal, so his letters were his establishing tools. He wasn't just writing just to write letters and say, oh, let's, I just feel like writing a letter today to Galatia, right? Yeah, it's like, hey, how are you guys doing? He had a relationship there. He wanted to see how they were doing, but he was using that as a tool to establish them in what God had told them they needed to be established in. He was laboring constantly for this. And, and in his letters, uh, um, in theology, you'll see that he had his early letters, middle letters, later letters, meaning he wrote letters earlier on in his life. He wrote letters in the middle part of his life, and then he wrote letters at the end of his life. And there's a clear theme in those letters. Do you think that's just random, no purpose? No. He was, Paul had direct revelation from God with a purpose and a plan. He gave his life for it, and then you see it themed out. So if Paul, I can't emphasize this enough, and these aren't just a direct line. There's a lot of overlapping between the, the letters, but there's a general theme that's very clear in his early, middle, and later letters, and there's a reason why he did that, because he had direct revelation from God. I want to emphasize that, because this wasn't Paul just doing what he thought was good either. He, y you look at his journey. He had received something from God, 
and if he did, to establish the church and bring the order to the, when the church was born from the very beginning, why would I try to do something different? <laughs> why would I think that I might come up with a better plan than what God gave directly to Paul for the start of the church? I can't. I can't come up with a better plan. God had a plan for it, and he's made it clear, and that's very exciting news. <laughs> to me, as a church planter establisher, that's extremely exciting news. I don't have to just, oh, God, what, are we, what programs do we need to do? What things do we need to do to attract people and to grow and to multiply? No. He actually gave clear instruction already about how he wanted his church established, and we get to look at it and say, oh, yes. That's why everything that we have going on in the community here, there's a reason we do it. We're not just doing it because we want more things to do. That's the last thing I want. That's the last thing we want. We don't want just more things to do. The reason why we have things happening is because we're convicted by truth that these things must happen for the establishment of the church because God laid it out in Scripture through Paul, and we can see it. And we're not talking about forms. We're talking about function <laughs> and principles, right? Because what, what a church establishment here in Carmel, Maine is going to look different than Haiti, right, in the form. It's going to look different in Wyndham, New Hampshire. It's going to look different in the forms that it takes because we're reaching culture. We're reaching people around us. But there's a there are principles that are cross-cultural. They're for the church of all time because God laid it out that way. And those principles are what I'm going to highlight today just to give an idea, this big bird's-eye view of Paul's, picture, uh, Paul's letters and why he laid the, these things out in that order. I'm not going to go into deep detail because that's what we do in our groups. And you'll be invited to those groups at the end of this service. So let's, uh, in, in Paul's early letters, the, the overall theme of Paul's early letters was establishing the church in the gospel message. And you're going to see it as I give you which books are the early letters. Not just the message itself, like that proclamation of who Jesus is and the prophets that prophesied it from, from the beginning of time till the fulfillment. Not just that, but the, the, what the implications of the gospel are for our lives, right? I hear the gospel, my life has to change. It does change. Changes me. So what does the gospel mean for the church? Jesus was preaching the good news even before he died. Isaiah 61. Remember he read it, he opened it up, read it, and said, today this is fulfilled in your presence. This was the good news. He said, I have come to proclaim the good news to you that captives are to be set free, that this is the day that I'm giving uh, joy for mourning, and this is the year of my favor. When he died, there was fulfillment to prophecy, releasing promise, and that was freedom. When Jesus died, there was fulfillment to prophecy, which released promise, which was freedom. And that freedom's really, really big, much more than we can even imagine. 
If you remember the passage in Ephesians 2.20, it says the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the chief cornerstone is who? Jesus Christ, right? What were the prophets prophesying? They were prophesying about the gospel, Jesus coming. What were the apostles teaching about? The gospel. <laughs> the foundation message is the gospel. There's no other foundation we can build on. I'm not picking a topic and saying, I'm going to build the church on this topic. The foundation is the gospel message. And that should be pretty logical for us too, right? <laughs> That's how the church began, is the gospel message. Series one of Sound Doctrine goes into the gospel message, and, and I know that series one is what people have a hard time with. Oh, it's so general. I don't really get what are we even talking about. It's the gospel message and its implications for our individual lives. How must we then live? Now that I have this great news that I'm set free, my life can't be the same, same anymore. And actually, it just goes through how we're then to live. And then, so these are the, just a couple of things I wanted to say that we do. We do the, the Sound Doctor groups, and then we do Freedom Sessions and Encounters. That's all about the gospel. That we're not just doing those because we want to do them. Encounter Weekends and Freedom Sessions is to lay out an understanding of the gospel, what it means for us today, and what freedom that we have. So some of his early letters were first, I'm, I'm going to breeze through a couple of them and pause on ones that I know everybody is familiar with. So in First and Second Thessalonians, those were some of his first letters. First Thessalonians, it was written to give further instruction on life conduct and encouraging them to remain firm in the faith. So it was the implications of the gospel for their personal lives. How then should we live? Right? Second Thessalonians, to encourage to remain steadfast in the faith. And when we say the faith, what are we talking about? Sound doctrine. It's not about just faith. The faith, the Greek word, is sound doctrine. To establish them and bring clarity on the day of the Lord that had been addressed in the first letter and to give warning against infiltration of those who didn't live ordered lives. Again, it was addressing, hey, your life isn't lining up with the gospel. The gospel actually set you free from that sin or set you free from immorality or set you free from X, Y, or Z. And so he was addressing those. If your life isn't ordered by that, then you need a fresh douse of the gospel to bring you into greater freedom. Galatians. Now, this one's we, we know a lot of us know Galatians. And it was to expose false teaching, establishing them in the law of liberty and grace rather than obligation to law. In Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read this just so you listen to Paul writing to them. Verse 6, he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another 
Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And listen to this. But even if we, meaning any of the apostles, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we said before, so again, I say now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. He says it twice in a row. (laughs) How important is this? He's saying uh, this church he had preached the gospel to and they had gotten established, they had received the gospel. He appointed leaders and left. And then he hears that they're now being infiltrated by other people saying other things, that the, uh, the gospel is this, hey, you've got to be circumcised. It was works. It was law reinforcing that. And he writes them to say, what are you doing? You so quickly turned back to the old way. You've got to remember, even if I come to you and preach to you a different gospel than when I first preached to you, don't listen. That's pretty intense. He knew his own frailty, right? Paul's saying, don't listen to anything different than what we first delivered to you. Very important. He was establishing them. They had to be established in this. He said, "Who, f- you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's how stern he was, how important this was. He was it was a strong letter calling them back to the truth of the, of the gospel. This was foundational for them. He knew he could not build without, uh, and I I mean, I think we all know, you can't build a a healthy, established church community if people are still in the mindset that it's by works. You can't, (laughs) right? Because that's a false gospel. That's not true. The foundation must be the truth of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's not by works that any man has been saved. It's by grace and grace alone. And we have to have that in us, deeply rooting out any other thing in our mind or thought that would be contrary to that in order for us to mature or build in individually, in our marriages, in our families, and then in the church. It is the foundation. And then in the letters to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, to address and confront division and quarreling with the implications of the gospel. Then how shall we live, right? He's addressing them saying, what are you doing? This sin is happening and this thing is happening and this division is happening. This is not according to the gospel which I first preached to you. He's calling them back again. Keeps calling them back. It seems pretty important. He's writing multiple letters to multiple churches. Second Corinthians, further establishing them in the transformed life of the gospel. This is what it looks like. This is what your life, when receiving the true gospel, will look like as a result. And then Romans. I'll pause here for a minute because we know the book of Romans quite a bit, or at least a few chapters we're familiar with. He was addressing the whole crux of the gospel, right? Law versus grace. He addressed Jews and Hebrews and who the gospel was meant for and to what was its purpose. That's a, book, that's a whole letter of Ro- uh, Romans that he wrote to the Roman church, which was a Gentile church primarily, right? It was in Rome. So in Romans, I'm going to 
go to Romans chapter 1, again, just the beginning of his letter. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. He goes on to say how all the prophecies led up to the release of this gospel and who it was. He's, he's preaching the gospel again in those first verses. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, call the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps not at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, this verse 11, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you and each of us by others' faith, by yours and mine. Um, and then verse 15. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he goes on. He's laying out the whole beginning of his letter is, I'm bringing to you the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This is the message I've been given, right? That was part of his calling in Ephesians 3 was to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this. This is my calling. I will until I die keep telling you this is the gospel. This is the gospel, which makes sense, too, that there would be so much spiritual warfare against what? Us understanding the gospel, I mean, in the church, that's so evident how, how often, even what happened this morning, that was extremely powerful, but that was, any thought in opposition to that is, is because it's spiritual warfare against the true gospel that says we have to have works or we have to show ourselves to God. And we constantly say, no, and God is obviously releasing too, no, that's not the truth. That's not the truth because we can't grow to maturity without this foundation and we must have it corporately, which means we must have it individually at the smallest level. He's proclaiming the gospel in Romans. He's declaring his desire for them to be established in it. And then he goes on to differentiate and talk again about what it looks like when the gospel is at work in your life. I mean, Romans 8 is a huge... He just keeps drawing the lines. When you're not walking in the gospel, this is what it looks like. When you are, this is what it looks like. Those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is what's happening in their lives. Those are all his early letters, and that's, there's a reason why the primary theme of his first letters to all these new churches had one major theme, right? So, so when we're establishing a community, that's going to be a major theme. It has to be a major theme in our lives, in our community, to constantly be washed and challenged by the truth of the gospel message. In Paul's middle letters, Paul was, Paul's letters were, uh, his middle letters were from prison, and they appear to be meant to establish the churches in the household order. 
the administration of the mystery, like I talked about from Ephesians 3. The household order was the building blocks and the structure of the house, the household of God. How then shall we live together as a body? The gospel is how then shall I live as an individual receiving. And then his middle letters are how then shall we live together as his body because of this gospel message transforms us in community. In Ephesians, one of our favorite books to talk about here, Ephesians was written to reveal the plan of God for his church. So once Paul laid this foundational message of the gospel, this is the most important thing, now he's starting to build. And he's saying, this is how the church is, this is the plan of God for his church, his family. And he was laying it out for the church at Ephesus. And we talk about, I mean, specifically chapters 4 through 6. Chapters 4 are leaders, uh, five-fold leaders that were meant for the uh, equipping of the body, for the establishment of the church. Five, your household order, which we talk about a lot here. How we're supposed to function together, husbands and wives and children, that matters to God and it matters to the church. You, we cannot have a healthy church family if our individual families are not healthy. We will not be healthy. We have to pursue health in our marriages, health in our children, health in our families, and then that will produce health in this community. And it's all according to God's design, not our own. And there are many things that we read there in our groups that strike, like Bobby said last week in her testimony, it struck her and she didn't realize, wow, I'm kind of out of order here. Ugh, I don't even like to admit that. Right? There was, there was hard moments of saying, it, and that's me too, that was me too actually, with uh, being a strong uh, personality and leader in a marriage where your husband's the head of the household. There's an order in the household. It doesn't matter how much leadership skill you have. Your husband is the head. And it's not just because God likes men better. There is a picture that it is displaying in the heavenly realm, and it's Jesus and his church. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, I, I'm not even talking about naturally. I'm saying this is about Christ and his church. Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, men are head of the household. That means I delight to submit to my husband in our household because then it's also he's awesome and it, he makes it easy. But even if he wasn't, I can have this vision in mind. Uh, we're displaying to the spiritual realm the plan of God by me submitting to him. How powerful is that? that it's a constant sign to the spiritual realm that Jesus is head of his church and he's coming for his bride. Come on. Powerful. So then it takes you out of this feminist culture that we have that's constantly, hey, you're right, and hey, he shouldn't silence you. It's like, Psh. That's not even what it's talking about. It's not what it's talking about. And that's what Paul was establishing in these middle letters in Philippians. It was to establish them as a community in unity of mind and purpose as a church in preaching and living out the gospel. Think about Philippians 1 through 3. Chapter 2, I mean, we all, he says, 
Uh, let me turn there so I can read it for you, but we all know this one too. He's talking about how we live in community with one another. Again, how then shall we live together? If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, any fellowship in the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, corporate, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. This is our community he's talking about. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. This is in church context, the order of the church, that we're regarding one another as more important than, than myself and honoring, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's in the church family. I'm not just looking out for my own good or for our own family's good. We're looking out the, our lives now. Are, the church is central because that's the center of God's plan. So now I'm not looking out for the own, our own interests. We're looking out for the interests of the whole. That's hard. <laughs> it takes reordering your life. It takes, it takes choices. We have to reorder our lives around this truth. And then it goes on to say, had the same mind that Christ had of humility. So that's personal transformation in a corporate setting and, and uh, we're corporate transformation by a gospel foundation. Humility, love for one another, and honor. That's producing it. The gospel will produce that in us. That's a building block. In Colossians, Colossians is, is a, such a similar letter to Ephesians. He's doing the same thing to further administrate the household instruction for the church. And, and Colossians is focusing on Christ the head. That letter is, is Christ the head. So it's this massive theme that Christ is the head of his church. Therefore, get your marriage in order. Therefore, get your family in order because it's displaying something. And then Philemon was one of his middle letters, and it's strong and supportive relationships as a result of unity and purpose in the progression of the gospel. So he's actually accolading them. You're doing so great because you're in unity together, again, as a community, as it should be in the family of God. And that's what the, the, um, the gospel will produce in a community. And then his later letters, this was when Paul was coming to the end of his life, end of his ministry. So can you imagine, I mean, I think of myself in that position, given that mandate directly from God, that's a heavy call. I mean, we prayed for Elijah for a call. Think about being the, the one that received the order for the church of all time. That's heavy, right? And he's coming to the end of his life and ministry. And can you imagine, have I done it all? Have I done everything that I needed to do that he's called me to do to lay it out? And in his last letters, Paul is focusing on training of leaders. That makes logical sense, Right? He's about to be out of the picture. So he's like, I need leaders in place that are going to follow this, that understand this and continue to perpetuate it. He's talking about how to set in order the household, the church household, and the importance of passing it on to faithful men. He exhorts that multiple times to his, he had Timothy and Titus specifically, those letters he was writing to two men who he was training 
and saying, take, you know, listen to me, listen to this, I'm going to be gone. Take this message and these set of teachings and pass it on. Make sure you pass on the deposit. The, the, the deposit was Paul's teaching that he received from God. Make sure that you pass on this deposit to faithful men who will pass it on to faithful men who will pass it, because he knew it was to go for all time. There was a strong encouragement and exhortation to his, these leaders. So in 1 Timothy 1, he's first establishing, proto establishing protocol for appointing leaders and for community life. Right? So we have the gospel, we have how our, our marriages are to be, how that the church household is to function, and now he's saying, and this is how leaders are to be. This is their qualifications, how you appoint leaders then in the church. Because that's what he did last, and everywhere he went. He preached the gospel, he gathered believers together, he taught them, and then lastly he appointed leaders. Because you need time. You need time to see do they match these qualifications? And he actually said to them, I'm looking, God has inspired me to look for certain things that need to have, that leaders need to have in order to lead in the church. And it's not a coincidence that they must lead their homes well. Because the church is just a family of many families. If they, <laughs> it wasn't just a rebuke. If you can't lead your home well, then you can't lead the church like X U. No, it was because this is a family. It's not a business. We're not just doing what we want to do. This is a family, the family of God. So in order to lead this well, I must lead my family well. I must be in my family in right order in order to know how to put this into right order because they reflect one another. Second Timothy, the importance of passing on and entrusting to faithful leaders the deposit given to them. That was his main exhortation to make sure it would be passed on. And then to Titus, his other, his other dis, uh, disciple, the person he was training, he was writing him about fully establishing the church. He said in Titus 1.5, Titus, set in order what remains in the church where you are. And then he gives them instruction about what those things are. And the focus was on appointing leaders and instructing the church in character and content, uh, conduct. So to me, this is all, those are his later letters, just three. This is all amazing news. Look how clear. I, I mean, I hope you saw how clear that was, this overall trajectory. And of course, these are overlapping pieces. Things are happening at the same time. Like, it's, uh, God is just like that. It's a tapestry, right? But there was this overall trajectory. We have to lay this foundation. If there's a crack in this, we've got to fill it. We've got to make it right. Then we're going to release and train people, establish them in the household order, in your family and in the church. And then we're going to raise up leaders that understand that design and are living it out and that keep, get that keep getting trained training and training and training, lifelong learning to the end of our lives to then continue to pass that along. That we could say, yes, we know how. And this is what we're talking about. When harvest comes in, when the great harvest comes in, we're not going to be like, ah, what are we doing? No, we know what we're going to do. 
And we need everyone in this family to know what your part is in that. And are you fully confident in knowing the gospel and its true implications? Are you fully confident? You, if not, it's not, a, it's not a shame on you. We're all growing in it. It's to say, you need more. We need more. We need more revelation. Let's get it together. Let's get it as individuals and together as a community because that's what we'll be establishing people in is the gospel. Do you understand the household order in your family? Are you living it? Do you know it and are you living it? Because that's what you're going to be discipling people in. Well, you think, oh, no, a revival. I'm just laying hands on people. They're falling over. That's going to happen too, but it's also going to be, and this is what your marriage should look like because that's the order of God for his church. Look at my marriage. Replicate it. We should be that confident that we're following the order of God that we could say that. Look at my marriage and follow our example. Look at my family and follow this example. And then pass raising up leaders so we can all know a certainty. So I'm going to have Joe and Kate actually come up and share just a testimony again about our sound doctrine groups that we're going to be launching in September. Um, because we really want people to hear about how this is transforming people's lives in our church community and the importance of it. It's not just because we want another group. Amen. Amen. Just want to take a moment before we testify. Just to last two years has just been so pivotal uh, in my own life, especially pertaining to Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It's just God's crafting this. Not, not just as a message, verbiage, but fresh, real conviction and really the fear of the Lord, like real reverence for God and the story he's telling and understanding that the great mystery and story that God is telling is beyond words. It's a story that goes beyond words and the story he's telling, this great mystery of Christ and the church is going to going to put on flesh. And I ain't there yet, but over a year ago I began aiming in the right direction, aiming at this thing like a bullseye. And with the help of the body of Christ and the word of God and our helper the Holy Spirit, right? I begin to just catch traction in my life, aiming in the right direction. But here's what's most convicting to me before I testify is the story he's telling is putting on flesh. And that flesh, for me, it's Joseph and Kate and Alexandra and the other children we're going to ado adopt and hopefully bring forth ourselves. But this thing gets so real and convicting in knowing that my response to God's design in marriage bears, bears grace and testimony in my church family, in the unbelieving world that we have influence with, right? And also to the powers of the air. And this is the battle of the ages in Ephesians 6. That's the battle of the ages. And in context, it's a battle over the man and the woman and the children. It's a family battle. All of the powers of the air are waging war against marriage family 
and sexuality. Turn on your television. We're, we're there. It's real. So all the more reason to get into the word concerning these matters and let it lay you bare. I've been there. I am there. <laughs> and it's real invitation to say, listen, I can't go this thing alone. I've tried. And neither can you, if you're really honest. We can't go it alone. This thing is a corporate, global issue that God is refashioning his church. And the great mystery of Christ in his church is going to put on flesh again. He's going to bring us to full maturity globally. And it's not just a lot of anointed people, loud prophecies, and kabam, kaboom, everyone's on the floor. It's me and Kate saying, okay, this ain't happy wife, happy life. This ain't happy man, happy fam. That, that's my link. I'm just being real, okay? That's not what it's about because I could be happy and she could be a wreck and she could be happy and I can be out of order not heading up my household. And this stuff is real because it's saying something to men and angels. And that angelic peace is what's coming to full maturity where something beyond prayer, fasting, and anointing breaks a region open. Where my household has authority in the earthly arena because I've said yes to the divine design. And then when I open my mouth in prayer, stuff moves. But it ain't moving until I, I move this. <laughs> and I'm preaching to me. I ain't there yet. We're aiming in the right direction. It's been, it's been awesome. We have more ground to take. I've testified up here many times. But I want to I just say this. There's invitation in this next season to get into a sound doctrine group. And no matter where you're at, where you've been, right? Because I'm preaching to me in this too. Time doesn't equal maturity in the gospel. Uh, listen, I'm not trying to be mean. Preaching to me. Time, Joseph, 20 years in the Lord doesn't equal your maturity, Joseph. You humbling yourself and breaking yourself, making yourself vulnerable to the word and people in a group setting. If you're really real there, Joseph, that'll bring you to maturity, son. And so, again, catching traction, but I can't do this without you and you can't do it without me. And that's really the heart of these groups. It's not biblical correctness. I've been there, done that, and so have you. It's not biblical correctness. It's doctrine that transforms me from the inside out. Listen, the denial of God's power in the last days is real. And it doesn't mean people will deny miracle signs and wonders. It means they will deny the Holy Spirit, His right as Lord to transform their life, and they will be hypocrites. <laughs> they will say yes to what the Bible says, but no to what it requires of them. That's denying the power of God. The dunamis, transformative power, is what Paul's speaking about in that warning. Sorry if I'm preaching. I'm testifying too. I'm hearing this. This is real. I'm a leader here in the body. I got nothing to hide. Um, I grew up in a different type of household than this says, that's for sure. And I don't want to reproduce what I grew up in. And I will if I don't take this seriously. So I'm in these groups. Right? Regardless of role and function in the church, I'm going to stay in these groups 
because I want more and I need more. Amen? That's my testimony. So I feel like most of what I have to say is a repeat, both of <laughs> Wesley and Joe, but um, I'd say what these groups have done for me is the scripture of without a vision, the people perish, and these groups give, well, the scripture and what we're studying in the groups really gives vision to the way that we live our lives and to um, the, the master plan, like Wesley was talking about. So rather than my vision just being, you know, to be a great Christian, to be the best I can be, to read the word enough, my life be changed enough, uh, be out on the street corner trying to preach the gospel, and if I'm not preaching to enough people, um, you know, I feel guilty and I don't feel like I'm doing enough for the Lord. As I study and realize the marriage of the spiritual to the natural of my own life, and that my that the transformation of my life and my family is power and and will preach that it's not about these different tasks that I'm doing for the Lord or how you know how holy I'm becoming and you know it is all of that but I have a vision for the transformation of my life my family the church and what it's all unto so um, that's really what it's done is when I invite, well, first when we allow the Lord to bring transformation into our family, and then we invite people into that, so inviting people just to our table and into our family and to see um, a family that's walking in the order of the Lord, that's the same as preaching on the street corner, and that's what's going to bring transformation. So, um, so that's really what it's done for me is just the beauty of not separating the spiritual and the natural, but me being home with my daughter and um, really just giving my time and attention right. to raising her right. in the way of the Lord is right. just as powerful yeah. as yeah. being in full-time ministry, you know, sitting at a desk doing administration <laughs> for the church all day long because I'm doing something for the kingdom of God. So it's given purpose to every aspect of our life. And um, and, and like Joe said, it's just as important for those of us who have grown up in the church, experienced the Lord over decades as it is for someone who's brand new, that we're on the same page, we're understanding the same um, plan of God and really um, growing as a family together so that our, the health of our families and the health of the church are both being um, unified and we're growing in that. So. One last thing, too, that I think may be helpful is just to be even more real about this is years, many years ago, we attempted to get into these materials together, and it just didn't go well. Two times, right, we tried, and it just didn't go well for various reasons. But the fact is, at that time in my life, um, I, w Lord, save me even more from this, but I was so proud. I, I looked at these materials and I said, man, that's just like silly, weak. Uh, I ain't going there. I already know that. And I'm too spiritual for that. It was too, I was too spiritual to face off man to man, man to woman in a group and take seriously everything Wes has been preaching on. And I was bankrupt in my life and in my marriage and my role as a husband and didn't know it because all I was looking at was, well, I'm called and I do this ministry and I'm part of this function in the church and I give words and blah, 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 right? 
and didn't even know where I really stood before the Lord, that I was a man of talk and no power. And I, ref I, I cannot go on being that man. And I'm not talking about power to pray for people and they feel the presence of God. I'm talking about dunamis power that transforms my character into the image of likeness of Christ so that I'm a man beyond words. I the word has put some flesh on in me. But I want to say, listen, these are foundational groups. Don't sell yourself short. Don't write it off as being something less than or minimal or elementary or too elementary for you because I saw it that way for years. And I'll tell you, uh, revisiting this in a right setting, right, with people who are taking it just as serious, it's changing my life. It's going to continue to change my life. You can be assured of that. But listen, I don't care how gifted or spiritual you are or I am. The most spiritual thing I can do is Ephesians 5. The most prophetic thing we can do is Ephesians 5, Ephesians 4, right? That's the most prophetic thing I can do. It's not give a prophecy. It's become a picture of this great mystery that he's prophesying. He's declaring on the earth. Here's what the man and woman are about all the way from the beginning of creation. I'm restoring it in the church, right? Adam and Eve. It's Christ in the church. It's Joseph and Kate. It's real, very real. So come on out. And I, I'll just also add real quick that they're fun. The groups are really fun. <laughs> they're not just this heavy material that though they are, it's really fun to get into it and not have um, the right answer. But as you get into discussion and you're looking at your own life, that, you know, it's just really fun to hash out with each other. And then all of a sudden a light bulb goes off in your head and something fits together. And all of a sudden you, you know, you start to see a bigger picture than you did before. And so it is really fun. And there's a lot of fellowship and connection in just being vulnerable <laughs> with each other. Thank you for adding that last part. <laughs> yes, they are very fun. And you get to know each other better, you know, than just on a Sunday morning. So awesome. No, no do you have something for the church? Is that what it was? I mean, is it going to be 20 minutes long? Or <laughs> yeah, come on up. I, I mean, I want if you have to leave, you can leave, but I want to receive the word. Oh, yeah, and kids ministry people don't leave because you can't. Two minutes. I'm really going to be quick with this and not belabor anything. I haven't shared. I haven't felt the grace to share my wife, you know, for a year and a half. I mean, I used to pastor a church and run ministry, and, you know, so I was sharing constantly. So this is, uh, I'm grateful to the Lord for a, a grace, because this is family, too. I mean, the early years with Joe and Kate and Wesley and Tommy and House of Prayer and the hiddenness of these people, the caliber of these people that you guys are running with and being led by, I just want to attest to that, you know, what was done in secret and all the way back into Wesley's early days in street life ministries in the closet and bearing her life before the Lord saying, God, I'm not uh, here to be seen by man. I'm not here. And just the posture that I've seen produced over the last two decades in these two uh, individuals here and I just had this thing and it's funny because you flushed out what I'm about to share and what you presented to your church I just kept feeling uh, a sense to urge you guys and I'm going to be quick with this but to urge you guys to fight against familiarity in this community 
I was a part of a ministry that went around for two years to a different church every year. I got to see the condition and posture of the church all around New England, various types of the gospel-centric church, you know, the, the Jesus-believing church, and all the different uh, levels uh, uh, that they were just at, we'll say it like that, levels of maturity and places that from the spoon-feeding of consumerism and man being the center of the gospel to the church that was uh, pedestaling Jesus and his worth and the coming of his kingdom in the age, uh, and the whole spectrum. And I was just feeling this ache in me here today that though what you're looking around and you see 40 people or whatever it is, don't measure by what man measures by. The Lord is conditioning the heart of this church to handle something bigger. He digs a foundation before he builds a building. And I want to say that with such deep conviction in my heart. Uh, A word he shared two years ago to me was, they were taking, being taken out of captivity 400 years. There was promise. The prophet Moses was declaring God's people were going to be set free. Signs were happening in their midst that were confirming the word that God was about to deliver them. And then there's one little verse there the day before they get set free. It said, they made no provision for themselves, the Israelites. Ultimately, they heard the promise, they saw that God was on the promise, but they didn't flush it out in practical ways of preparing food and clothing for a journey out of captivity. And that's the message into the church, I believe, in this hour right now, and that's my conviction, is that there is a preparation because God wants the church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling they've been given as the ecclesia as the governing, ruling body in the earth. Not come, sing a couple songs, have a potluck, have a Wednesday service, feel good, go about business as usual. No, a corporate body operating in unity and administering the heart of God in a way that's not possible in their own strength. We need to believe for something more in the church right now to be produced than we can produce. I can't say that in as many ways as I can. Like, I can't dream up enough ways to preach that message right now. I believe it's needed. We have to come to the understanding of our limitations and our capacity apart from God in our gifting and calling alone. There's a posture that comes from, the, from and, and what Joe was talking about, prayer and fasting. There's an anointing and a posture that comes from this high-level dependency on God that's saying, God, we want your ways above our own. No matter what that looks like and no matter what that costs me. And so this all started with this little ache in my heart growing as Wesley was preaching. What is on you, what is on this church, what's on this region, Bangor House of Prayer, what is on you guys is bigger than what is realized now. I've known that from 20 years. I've seen and, and, and witnessed and been able to see little glimpses by the grace of God into what these two would be called to. I was sitting there today, I said, Lord, would you allow me to go to Maine? I would love it if you would allow me to come up here. I would love it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't need chimneys anymore. So, I just want to say is there's more than what's realized. Do not become familiar with what you're seeing starting to be laid out, the railroad tracks that are being laid out in this community. Don't become familiar. Don't settle for spoon-fed 
flimsy little gospel that it's all about your comfort and ease and happiness, your best life now. There is so much more from the, for the church right now. And there will be those who say no to it and barely get in by the seat of the pants. What's it say? Singed on the way in, like barely wood, hay, and stubble. And then there will be those who count the cost that follow him and that build with things that last. And I believe and I prophetically declare to you guys today with confidence that there is a grace on this community to build with precious stones. Uh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Whew. <laughs> so good. We just had like one preacher after another, after another, after another since 1030 this morning. <laughs> so good. Amen. Well, we receive that, Lord. We receive that as a community. We receive that word. We just thank you, Father, for the way that you're moving in us and through us. And we trust you, God, that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And we just thank you that you are building here, God. You're doing a work here in us and in our faith.